Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to be here with us in this place, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words this morning be your words. And all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I was visiting a church once, and the preacher said, as the first sentence of his sermon, you know, I've really recently started reading the Bible. (laughs) That's a red flag. And then he started talking about how amazing the Bible is. Now, the admission that you've only just started reading the Bible as a preacher is a weird thing to say, but he was on to something. The Bible is amazing. And of course, it's amazing as the vessel in which the gospel story is given to us, the Lord's plan of redemption played out over generations, the story of his people, their creation, fall, and finally their and our salvation in Jesus Christ. But the Bible is also amazing just as a piece of literature. All the different genres and authors, the way the stories weave together, refer to one another and mount up to a climax, the way the characters interrelate, complement, and fulfill each other. The inspiration and sovereignty of God is so apparent in the pages of Scripture. And I feel like over these recent weeks and months, we've been experiencing here in our readings and sermons a sort of informal survey of some of the amazing things that the Bible is doing. And one of the specific things we've been seeing is the way in which so many biblical stories are operating on two levels at once, doing two things at the same time. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Ezekiel setting his face Toward Jerusalem. That was in Ezekiel chapter 21. And that was about the prophet's mission to preach the coming judgment of God to that idolatrous city. But it was also pointing forward to Jesus, referenced in Luke chapter 9, setting his face toward Jerusalem, not to announce the judgment of God, but to bear the judgment of God poured out on the sin of the world. Two things at once. Something happening in the 6th century B.C. was also pointing to Jesus and his finished work that accomplishes eternal salvation for sinners like you and like me. And it wasn't that long ago that we read the passage from Luke chapter 4 about Jesus' temptation in the desert. Again, a story working on two levels. On the surface, Jesus is resisting Satan's temptations And showing us how we might resist temptation too. But that story was also operating with an eternal framework. Having nothing less than the eternal redemption of the world in mind. Remember that as Luke told that story, he drew all kinds of parallels back to the book of Numbers. 
and the nation of Israel. Israel was the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Israel was figuratively baptized crossing the Red Sea. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then Israel was tested in the wilderness. Jesus also tested in the wilderness. But where Israel failed, Jesus was victorious. And so again, we have this story working on two levels. Jesus' victory over Satan pointing to a larger story. Jesus' final victory over sin and death for you. In his defeat of the devil, Jesus does way more than just show you how to win a confrontation with temptation. He does that, but he does even more. He actually gives his victory to you. And this is no surprise, of course, this is happening in the scriptures. Jesus' victory for sinners is the whole point of the story. The whole Bible, every story points there. And so with that background, let us come to this morning's story. Jesus' famous parable of the Good Samaritan. Because again, we have the Bible operating on two levels. And if you don't know that this is the normal way the Bible works, it's easy to miss. You might just stay on the surface and miss the larger story to which this story is pointing. And if you do that, you'll miss the good news altogether. And you probably know the story, you just heard it. A man is beaten, stripped, and robbed, and left by the side of the road. A priest and then a Levite coming along the way see him and cross to the other side, not wanting to defile themselves. It was a Samaritan, the traditional enemy of the Jews, who got involved, took it upon himself to care for the beaten man, to bandage him, and to pay for his rehabilitation. The moral? Don't be like the priest or like the Levite. You should be like the good Samaritan. Love your neighbor. Amen. Well, no. We're going to have to do better than that. That was, at best half a sermon, right? It stays completely on the surface and therefore misses the cosmic and eternal point that Jesus is trying to make. That little sermon only tells you what you had better go out and do for Jesus and doesn't tell you a thing about what Jesus has done for you. And make no mistake, the parable of the Good Samaritan is chock full of good news the announcement of the gospel, what Christ has accomplished for a sinner like you. Let's see how it works. So this parable of the Good Samaritan is simply the second great commandment in narrative form, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember Jesus' summary of the law. We say it at the beginning of every single service. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In fact, Jesus tells this story to answer a lawyer's question about who his neighbor is. The lawyer, trying to test Jesus, asks him, what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him to follow the laws that he already knows so well. Love God, love your neighbor. 
But then the lawyer asks a follow-up question, which Luke is careful to note is the lawyer's attempt to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan, a story operating on two levels, a story doing two things at the same time. We might think of it like this. The parable of the Good Samaritan has an obvious and horizontal dimension, how we ought to love our neighbors. But that obvious and horizontal dimension points to a deeper story, a more profound truth, a cosmic and vertical dimension, how we get right with God. And to hear the good news proclaimed this morning, we have to preach both. If Jesus had been asked simply, how should we treat our neighbors, and had responded with this story, perhaps be like the Good Samaritan would be enough of an interpretation. Because to be sure, the Samaritan loves his neighbor and the priest and Levite do not. This is not controversial. You should be like the Good Samaritan. But remember the conversation that Jesus is having here. The question the lawyer opens with is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is having a vertical conversation a conversation about a person's relationship to God, not just a horizontal question about our relationship to other people. This parable must, therefore, have a vertical interpretation in addition to the horizontal one. The lawyer was, remember, seeking to justify himself. So Jesus' story is as much about how to get right with God as it is about how to be a good person. So let's look at these dimensions one at a time. First, the obvious and horizontal one, how we relate to our neighbor. Be like the Good Samaritan. That's true, and it's a good word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do likewise. Bind up the wounded. Care for the broken. Minister to the sick and weary. But before we say amen... There's a problem. We, you and I, the ones being told to go and do likewise, we ourselves are broken, inward-turned sinners. In our reading from Amos this morning, we have God, through his prophet, promising to set a plumb line in the midst of his people, Israel. I will never again pass them by, he says, The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now, a plumb line is literally a string that you stretch out during construction as a way of measuring the straightness of the project. And for construction to work, for the building not to fall down, things must be perfectly straight. The floor must be perfectly flat. The angles must be perfectly square. But what does God find when he sets his plumb line in the midst of his people? Anything but straightness. He finds idolatry, infidelity, and sin. And so he promises these high places of Isaac shall be 
made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And he will rise against the house of Jeroboam, the king, with a sword. In other words, crookedness, sin, will not be tolerated. Only perfection can be the standard. And because of this crookedness, judgment is coming. And this isn't just bad news for sinful Israel at the time of Amos. The straightness of God's plumb line is bad news for sinners like us, too. Remember, the Jesus describing the Good Samaritan here is the same Jesus who told his audience at the Sermon on the Mount that in order to be justified, they had to be perfect as their Father in heaven is perfect. The same Jesus who told the rich young man that if he wanted to inherit eternal life, he had to sell every stitch of clothing on his back and every stick of furniture in his house. He had to give everything away and follow Jesus. The Jesus who tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and then says, go and do likewise, is the same Jesus who requires nothing less than perfect obedience. Remember, God's plumb line is perfectly straight. And what Jesus is saying here is that to inherit eternal life, you must keep God's law, which involves loving your neighbor as yourself, and you must do it perfectly. No wiggle room. You must never be like the priest or the Levite, who had perfectly legitimate social and religious reasons not to get involved with a beaten-up traveler. You must always love perfectly, sacrificially, selflessly, not just on the outside, but on the inside too. You must, in other words, always want to love perfectly, sacrificially, and selflessly. You must never hurt anyone. You must always help everyone. Imagine this parable applied to your actual life. Not only must you never skirt around a homeless person on the street, you must never wish you could. You must give them everything you have. Let them stay in your home. Fund a savings account for them. Find them a job. Vouch for them. Give their creditors your financial information and make sure that their every future need is taken care of. You must love perfectly. Yes, this story of a good Samaritan shows what neighbor love is truly like. But that's not enough. That's only one level on which this story is working. That's only half a sermon. And it's the bad news half. You're probably feeling it right now. If we must be like the good Samaritan in order to be made right with God, we are all lost. Every one of us. Be like the good Samaritan may be a good word, but it's bad news. Jesus tells this parable about a Samaritan who is so lavishly generous, so excessively loving, so extravagantly caring in order to raise the moral bar so high that it excludes absolutely everyone. This Samaritan gets down into this beaten man's bloodiness, into his pain and wounding, and gets his hands dirty. 
At great cost to himself, he binds him up, covers his nakedness, and cares for him. A complete stranger overnight. And the next morning, he promises to pay the innkeeper whatever it takes. His help is not simply a one-time gift. Rather, it's a gift that will cover whatever future charges might be incurred. This is a neighbor perfectly loved. And with this story, Jesus brings down the hammer of the law on our self-justifying work. You think you love your neighbor, he says? Let me show you what neighbor love really looks like. Jesus tells this story to drive us to our knees, to destroy us, to bring us to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' parables, it's always tempting to try to find yourself. We do it reflexively, I think. Which character are you? And if we stay on the surface of this story, on the horizontal dimension, it's natural to try to find a way to put ourselves in the place of the Good Samaritan. You may have to give yourself a long set of self-improvement steps to get there, but it's the Samaritan with whom you are trying to identify. But you're not the Good Samaritan in the story. Even in the plain telling of the story, on the horizontal level, you are the people who pass by on the other side of the road. You are the sinner. That's Jesus' first point. But that's not the whole sermon. In the cosmic story, on the vertical level, the ultimate story that this parable is pointing to, in that story... You are the man lying beaten and broken by the side of the road in need of salvation. That's who you are. That's what's going on here. Jesus intends the parable itself to leave us figuratively beaten and bloodied, lying in a ditch just like the man in the story. We are the breathless, bruised We are the needy, unable to do anything to help ourselves. We are the broken and sinful people, exposed and beaten up by God's holy and perfect standard. On our own, we are robbed of hope. As St. Paul wrote to the Romans, the law came in, sin came alive, and I died. The law came in, sin came alive, and I died. We cannot escape our diagnosis. We are sinners. The parable of the Good Samaritan shows us that and kills us. But then into that death, Jesus comes. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. In the same way that Ezekiel points forward to Jesus, and in the same way that Jesus' victory in the desert points to his final victory on the cross, this story points to Jesus too. The horizontal story, the law of love your neighbor, points to the vertical story, the gospel of Christ for sinners. The whole Bible is pointing to this Jesus on the cross for you. The whole Bible is God's story of redemption, In Jesus Christ, Jesus 
is the Good Samaritan. Unlike the priest and the Levite, Jesus doesn't avoid you, the sinner. He comes to you from heaven to earth, comes into the mess that you've made of your life and gets his hands dirty. At great cost to himself, his very life on the cross, he heals your wounds, covers your nakedness, and loves you with a no-strings-attached, one-way love. He brings you to the Father and promises that this help is not simply a one-time gift. Rather, it's a gift that will forever cover whatever future charges you incur. Indeed, you are now His. In Him, you have new life, now and forever. That is good news. So hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. God is holy. He is perfect. His standard is a plumb line, absolutely straight, from which there can be no deviation, no escape. You must be perfect, including perfect love of your neighbor. Every day you fall short of that standard. Every day you are the priest and the Levite crossing the road and not showing love to those around you. So confess your sin. Acknowledge your guilt. Fall on your face and admit that your failure to uphold the law has left you beaten up, helpless, and dead in trespasses and sins and in desperate need of a Savior. And then, hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus has come to you. God is love. It is his character to always have mercy. And he has mercy on sinners like you, reconciling you to himself by the finished work of his Son, Jesus Christ. So when you fall on your face, fall at the foot of the cross, because there Jesus is victorious for you. You were dead. He doesn't hesitate. He comes to you, taking your sin and death onto himself and offering you new life in his name. You fail every day to be the good Samaritan God has called you to be. Jesus Christ was victorious once for all, forever. Jesus is the good Samaritan for you. Amen.